and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today, we're going to talk about a profession that has a direct correlation to how consumers look. And some would say it's more important than makeup and skincare. Today, we're talking about cosmetic dentistry. And I'm fortunate to welcome a dynamic duo, Drs. Joya and Drew Lyons, who together run Smile Savvy Cosmetics Dentistry to the show. We're going to talk about how they got their start and why cosmetic dentistry and beauty belong in the same conversation. Welcome, doctors. Thank you for having us. Glad to have you here today. I'd like to start the show by having each of my guests give me a 30-second bio. So my name is Dr. Andrew Lyons, from Dr. Drew, as I'm better known in the office. I'm originally from Raleigh, North Carolina. Growing up, I did not have a strong interest in healthcare or beauty, but along the way I found through sports and being injured a lot that healthcare was the call for me. So fast forward some years, so how the link to cosmetic dentistry It's a total emotional sell for me. It's seeing life change. People take that next step in purpose to open that job, go into entrepreneurship, start that relationship. That's what it is. I know we can talk about the vanity of a smile, but it's truly someone feeling better about themselves. That's why I do what I do. Dr. Joya? Yes. Growing up right outside of Detroit, come from a family of three. I'm the youngest of three. Growing up, I think what made me realize that I would excel at the sciences is just exposure. So my sister was really good at the sciences. And having them tell me over and over that I would be a good dentist, that I would be a good engineer, just telling me I would be good at these things, naturally I excelled in those things. So fast forward to Hampton University, where I chose to do my undergraduate degree, I kind of took dentistry more seriously because I felt the long-term entrepreneurship connection with that was easier. So I went that route, and I also feel like it's a combination of engineering and dentistry. So it's the best of both worlds. So I chose dentistry, went to Hampton University, graduated. I think me and my husband always wanted to have the practice that we have today. Cosmetic dentistry is a type of field where you have to take continuing education. You have to immerse yourself in the knowledge because it's not a specialty. It's not a separate school. So most of that learning is after school. So we knew cosmetic dentistry and life-changing was the two connections that we loved the most is changing lives. Would either of you say it was a destination or a detour? For Dr. Joy, it sounds a little bit more destination and for Dr. Drew, a detour. I thought I would say destination, but I think you're absolutely right, Corinne. I think it's a detour because once I found out healthcare, the moment that specifically said, okay, dentistry is your path was I was at a lunch and learn freshman year at North Carolina Central University. And we had a speaker and she said, many dentists opt to own their own business. And I was like, okay, that's when the light bulb went off for me. So I can pick up things and get pretty good at it quickly, which is not great when you're trying to figure out your path in life. But that spoke to me. There's no entrepreneurship in my family. So it was kind of rare, you know, how that popped up. So yeah, a great detour that led to my wife, that led to our practice, that led to cosmetic dentistry, that led to life-changing smiles, so a great detour at that. 
Oh, but I think we established mine was more of a destination. So I was seven, I think, when I established I wanted to be a dentist. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so let's talk about the way that you guys met, because I think that that also, Dr. Drew alluded to, is kind of like the detour that led him to you. So could one of you just give us the love story? We met while we were both in separate undergrads. Drew went to Central, went to Hampton. So we met at an enrichment program held at University of Chapel Hill in North Carolina. So this program was geared towards students who were interested in being dentists. I came from Hampton, he came from Central, and we randomly got selected to be put in the same mock interview group because this program was going to prepare us to interview for school. And it was just a group of three. So I remember counting by three, and we ended up in the same group. And of course, I was a little bit nervous because, you know, doing an interview is already nerve-wracking enough. And then you have a handsome guy staring across from you and to me thinking like, okay, let me not mess up this Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp, where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. Each of you could tell me what your first jobs were. My first job was an associateship in the hills of the mountains. So we've always lived in the Charlotte area, but this job was an hour and a half away. So that's three hours on the road daily, but it was a great opportunity. Really fast paced office, able to get my speed and skills up. Not a lot of cosmetic, which kind of left me thirsting for more, but nevertheless, it was a great opportunity just to show someone how I can work and prove it to myself. And I think from there, just that longing for something a little bit more, you know, it's just about growth, something that demanded more of me and I could give more to the patient ultimately led to, okay, let's open our own practice. And then my first job was working with children. So it was an all pediatric office and that helped me to get the skills with working with children, which Dr. Drew didn't have. So when we came together to open up our own practice, we were able to kind of divide and conquer. I also learned the skill of calming patients, of course. And I got my speed up because it was a very busy practice, but I knew long-term that I could not stay there because the end goal is adult industry. So I wanted to make sure I got that experience and then move on to the next thing. What are the skills that you picked up at each of your first jobs that you're still using today? Definitely. I believe in cosmetics, you have to have an eye for the aesthetic. You have to have kind of the, the end game in mind. So when you see someone smile, it's easy to see what the problems are, but oftentimes seeing the best version of someone is the tricky part. So I believe that being a minority and just understanding that smiles do differ by age, race, and gender, I believe I saw a path for patients that the majority population doesn't see for us because our smiles are different. And I think that became a great niche for me at the time with patients that not only looked like me, I'm talking Asian, everything. I think just them feeling represented for a minority was so huge. Dr. Joy, what would you say? is a skill that you picked up. Yeah. So I would say um, my listening skills. It's very important to listen to your patient's concerns, let them feel heard, and communication. I think if the patient understands that you're listening and that you're communicating with them about every aspect of the procedure that you're performing, that in itself is calming to the patient. Let's talk about cosmetic dentistry and the skills you need, as Dr. Drew was talking about, the understanding that 
Smiles are different based on race, ethnicity, age, etc. What are the specific skills that you think you need to be a really good cosmetic dentist? Any dentist needs a steady set of hands, but I think what we do is the most steady of hands you'll need in dentistry because we oftentimes will move in 0.3 millimeters. So you need a sharp set of eyes that can see that change and can understand that a lot of work we do isn't just about being beautiful. It's also about being very minimal and touching what God gave somebody. So to be able to steady your hands and see what you're doing before you touch it is key. But clinically, I would say you have to merge your skills with photography. And that's where we're expanding now. Many times you do not know what you're looking at until you've taken a picture of it. You can zoom it, turn it upside down, adjust the lighting and go from there. I would have never thought photography as just a critical skill. That's really interesting. How do you stay up to date? As you mentioned, Dr. Joya, that you didn't really want to stay in pediatric dentistry because things change quickly and you wanted to be up to date and have your skills aligned with what's happening now. So how do you stay up to date with new technologies and breakthroughs in your field? Just forever learning. We have to obviously take continued education to renew our license every year. So we're just very specific on what topics we choose to learn. So we're always looking at different classes to take, hands-on skills, dental magazines. Um, What would you say, Dr. Drew? I would say, you know, we've been blessed to be able to teach and give back and mentor. And, you know, whenever you do that, you're forced to learn and make sure you double down on what it is you're trying to explain to somebody else. But every case, you know, we go back and we go back. And even if it was great, patients super happy, we go back and just figure out how can we get an even better outcome? And I think dentistry forces you to stay on your A game because materials are changing. So that's why I chose dentistry because it's exciting, it's fast paced, but you do have to stay on your A game. I would also add to that as far as social media is concerned. I mean, social media can be bad, but it can also be a good thing to see what a dentist is doing in a whole nother country, state. You know, you can stay up to date by following certain dentists and technologies. That's great. What led you to become entrepreneurs? I know, Dr. Drew, you said you heard that most dentists are entrepreneurs, but what led you to start this practice? I would definitely say it's just my childhood, my environment. I'm an only child, so I wasn't spoiled so much with gifts, but I was very spoiled with time and autonomy. And I'm pretty self-driven. I think Dr. Joya would agree with that. So just being in an environment where we can affect change at lightning speed is so attractive to me. You know, when I spoke about wanting better outcomes for my patients, I want to go legit order what I want that next day. And, you know, when you're working for somebody else, you don't have that much say. And you respect that. And you play within the rules and the lines. But I think it's just my personality. I don't know if people are born entrepreneurial. I go back and forth. But I do know I cannot see myself at this point in my career working for someone else because I'm just so driven to perfect it our way. I would say, you know, entrepreneurship, more of the lifestyle design for me. I knew I wanted that to be the end result. So I didn't necessarily have to have entrepreneurship. Of course, you know, our first couple of jobs, I realized that to get true job autonomy, you have to have your own situation going on. So I always wanted to be a mother. I always wanted to be a wife and I wanted to be able to be there for my family. So I knew the only way to do that is to have our own situation so we can control that as best as possible. What challenges is you both working with your spouse, having your spouse as a business partner? Dr. Joya challenges me the most. 
<laughs> I say that jokingly, but in all seriousness, having an accountability partner that you know has your best interest at heart is the best challenge and the best kick in the pants you need every day. But what we do is we bounce things off each other. I think we see at the time that patients don't know they're getting a secondary consult when they meet us because oftentimes I'll step in the room or she will if it's my patient and we'll just say, hey, we're both going to work your case. So within that, oftentimes there's a behind the scenes conversation of, hey, did you see that? Did you want to add that? So I embrace that healthy challenge from my lover. <laughs> I think we definitely have disagreements. So it's not that, you know, to this day, seven years in. So that's the biggest challenge is coming to a compromise. But we found over the years that the compromise is the best decision for our practice that we could have ever made. So, you know, he'll have an idea and I'll have an idea. Most of the time it's him coming to me with his ideas and I have to figure out a plan to put it in action. And usually the compromise or the plan that we work out together is like the best option for the practice. So it's a combination of the two ideas. But the challenge is coming together for that one agreement. Now let's talk about the link that a patient's smile has to their self-worth. We talked a little bit about it at the beginning, but when I said in the intro that it is more important than makeup or skincare, that because it is one's perception of their beauty is so linked to their smile. Let's talk about how, what you've seen with patients and what the outcomes have done for them, you know, the outcomes that you've created. You're absolutely right. And I would say one of my favorite personal stories is I recently had the pleasure of working on one of my high school teammates, a football teammate. He's into acting now and I didn't take him too seriously, but then I packed it a little bit and found out he was on set with The Rock Dwayne Johnson for Baywatch and had a speaking role. He found out his scene was cut, didn't know why, you know, went back to his agent. Hey, was I not getting my words out? Was I not in character? You know, all these things because they go to camp for two months for this stuff. He found out his smile was not age appropriate because he was born congenitally missing a couple of teeth. So what it did is it aged him out of the role. He was supposed to be a 28 to 35 year old, something that was well to do. But when you're missing teeth, you know, the camera, unfortunately, will make that judgment that he's not who he says he is. So you can place makeup, you can get hair right, you can kind of hide other things. But getting around that smile, there's really not a quick fix. Imagine the excitement when we get his smile together. Now that role or that scene doesn't get cut. And I think that speaks to the bigger picture of, yes, we judge ourselves, but, you know, unfairly, we're also being judged by others. I think my favorite part of cosmetic industry, you know, is the stories of hearing how their life transforms after they do their smile. Um, one of my favorite stories is a patient on her social media. I noticed that she doesn't smile on any of her pictures. So she said that she's been turning down countless opportunities because of her smile. She's not confident. And a lot of them are modeling and she knows they may ask her to smile and she doesn't want to say no. So she said she needs to do something because she can't lose out on opportunities. So fast forward, we do her smile. And of course, I'm looking at her social media. It smiles all over the place. I go online. She's got modeling gigs all over the place. So it just unlocked her to be her true self, basically. And that's what I love about cosmetic dentistry. It's like we take a key and unlock their true self and now they can live out in their purpose happily and actually show it. I'm really interested and excited by the fact that you two have given small makeovers to people in need. And why is that important? It's important because I feel like 
We were put on this earth to serve others. Uh, we're supposed to use our talents and gifts to give back in some way. So that was always part of the plan to give back smiles. It's everything to me. I know. I was about to go on a rant. Oh, you can't. <laughs> Please. You want to go ahead? Oh, yeah. I was just saying that that's why we put on this earth. So we created the lion's share so we can um, give back and most of the time, if we feel and we're in the chair next to the person and we listen to their story, it's us deciding in that moment that we're not going to charge them for the services. It's the stories for me. That's what gets me. And we totally understand dentistry is not always affordable. Uh, we're very flexible in our office, but for some, it's still not achievable. So many times we find that if we can remove barriers for people with that compelling story, it's not about us, but it does help me fall back in love with dentistry because sometimes we go through all the hurdles of insurance. Can they get off from work? Is the lab going to turn this around before their 40th birthday and they get married? Into I mean, so many barriers happen before you can actually do the work. When you can just focus on helping someone who you know could never achieve what we're about to give them, to me, it's the greatest gift. It's almost like anonymously, I picked you because I want to bless you and I have the ability to. I think that's the purest thing I can do for someone. That's fantastic. Let's talk about unsung skill. Listening to you, I hear compassion is an unsung skill. <laughs> but are there other unsung skills in your profession that separate you from the crowd? Because everybody could have a skill set, but an unsung skill takes you to the next level. I would say, I think I've been told by Dr. Joya, so it must be true. And my unsung skill that works for me as it relates to cosmetic dentistry is the ability to make sure the patient feels like they're the most important person in the room, because they are. The reason being is dentistry, the prestige sounds nice, the white coat feels great, owning a business is amazing, but what really is at the core of this is service. So I feel like I have the unsung ability to go all in with serving someone. So that could be jumping on a call with the patient Sunday at 7 a.m., they could be coming in Sunday morning just to make sure that their temporaries are doing okay and just feeling connected to their entire journey. We'll tell patients all the time, hey, I'm married to this, so I want to make sure I see you in also. I would say we do a lot of art. You have to kind of have an art skill because we sometimes are building a tooth out of nothing. So we have to be able to have some type of art skill. They teach us in school, but... A lot of times, if you really don't know until you get, you get into school, you're good at it or not. But you do have to have some type of art capability. Dr. Joya, let's talk a little bit about the nonprofit work you do with your sister. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So in 2017, uh, me and my sister, we had a discussion. Uh, my sister's also a doctor. She's an eye doctor in Georgia. We had a discussion and we talked about the lack of representation of us in STEM and also in our respective fields. Routinely had girls reach out to us, come to our office to shadow, and just listening to their concerns about not having many opportunities, especially for high school girls, to be able to connect with doctors. Because most of the opportunities for college and up, I guess there's liability reasons, but we wanted to create something because we feel like exposure early is important. Middle school and high school is very important. So partnering with doctors and having them to be able to see doctors at that age will really solidify their success in STEM. So we have internships, we have panels where we have 
different STEM professionals come and talk about their experience, their careers, to kind of expose them to different options. A lot of times in high school, it's either like doctor or lawyer, you know, but they're specifically breaking down so many different types of doctors. Like my sister's an optometrist. That's not med school. That's something different. You know, there's dentistry. And the kids, they just don't know about it in particular. Talking about our experience going to HBCUs, um, 70% of medical doctors graduate from HBCUs. That's a fact that most people don't know. So if you want to increase your chances, let's talk about that. So in the summer, we partner them with doctors that we work with in the field, and they have internships for six weeks with those doctors, and they have to actually do a presentation at the end of this internship, and they get a stipend. So it's not just unpaid, because a lot of these girls, they need money. They can't just afford to not work. So we give them a stipend at the end, and it's a great experience. And we actually just had somebody get into Harvard, and she, in her interview, she was talking about score, and they were so engaged, asking her so many questions. And like, wow, you got to do that in high school? So that really made me and my sister feel like, okay, this is needed. This is important. Great. How do you think doing these kinds of programs and having more Black women in STEM careers helps to advance industries like cosmetic dentistry? Black doctors, period, are 3% of the profession. Black women, oh my God, maybe 1%, 2% even lower. So that's sad. When I think about most of our patients that opt for cosmetics, they are black women. So sometimes you wonder if there is more representation, would there be more cosmetic dentistry? And I know that answer for our office is absolutely yes. If there were more black doctors, there would be more cosmetic dentistry. So I think just the exposure, seeing that we exist, actually builds an untapped part of the market. And I think that's why it's so important. Dr. Drew, you talked about being an athlete. What did you learn as an athlete that you use now? This is cool. So before my first football game, I played wide receiver and corner. One thing they tell you when you play corner because you guard receivers is you're going to get beat. So you have to have a really short memory. You have to jump back in there and be okay failing and just learn. And for someone like myself, I'm very idealistic. I have a way in my mind. I think things should go and it doesn't always work out like that. So the blessing of being able to get burned a few times by people who now are in the NFL doesn't feel so bad. You know, you put so much pressure on yourself because you're working with someone's health. You're trying to create art where it has not existed. And, you know, sometimes you'll see it and you're like, no, this has to go back to the lab. I'm unhappy. And it's being able to survive that mentally and start over and know that it's okay. And you can still win for the patient, for yourself. Everybody's happy. It's a certain amount of grace that you have to give yourself because we're not God and we are working where only he can work. So being able to see the limitations of what you actually cannot achieve needs to happen on the front end before you start touching teeth. So just the gift of being able to forgive yourself, to learn, to still dare greatly and challenge yourself. I think is what I learned from my childhood sports. I hear that you also like designing dental offices. Yeah, that would be another detour because <laughs> that was definitely not something I knew I loved. So when we built this office, uh, well, Dr. Joy was very, very pregnant, our daughter, Brielle. So I was put in a position to pick out everything. And I think I did a good job. I've been told as much, but it did become fun. And even at home, I noticed myself having input. So long story short, I got invited to be on a panel just more as a case study to talk about not just the aesthetics of an office, but how the aesthetics have to be combined with workflow. 
and the ergonomics of your office so that you can have a healthy back and neck, which is very hard in our career, and how your staff can feel comfortable and, you know, work in an optimal way. So being able to be a part of that then transformed into, I was just asked to judge new office designs for a dental magazine just two months ago. So it's one of those things where it's calling me. I didn't have an interest, but I do feel like I have a lot to share from firsthand experience. Running this practice, you have to hire people. So how do you know somebody's a good fit for your team? Well, we hire off of personality, right? We can always teach a skill. I'm always big on fit. So you have to be able to have empathy for the patient, great communication skills, and you kind of have to have a calming because, you know, in this field, people are already anxious. So you can't be that type of person yourself. So we like to kind of make sure with working interviews and we have a phase where we're kind of filling everybody out, but we definitely hire on personality and fit. And we can tell right away. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. What was the first beauty or grooming fragrance product you purchased? I struggled with acne greatly as a child and was very self-conscious about it. Still, from time to time, I do. So I'm very certain it was, I don't know, Nagzim or whatever was out at the time. (laughs) That was my first. What's the most recent beauty product that you tried? So I'm very into my beard because my wife loves it greatly. And I struggled for a long time until I was over 35 to grow facial hair. So I'm very into beard balms. I don't have a specific brand because my barber actually makes his own. He's a little bit of a kitchen chemist, uh, <laughs> but it works for me. It's soft, it's growing, it's not as patchy. So that's what we're doing right now. And Dr. Joy, what was the first beauty product you ever purchased? Probably had to do with my hair. I cannot get away from Prima Nature products. I've tried to use other different products for my hair, but for some reason, Prima Nature, I just keep coming back to it. So that probably was the first new product that I bought, shampoo. What's the most recent beauty product that you purchased or tried? Um, I use CeraVe system for my skin. Um, I have very dry, sensitive skin. So that's something I have to think about nowadays is aging and making sure my skin stays tight. So I use CeraVe system for that. What's the beauty advice or grooming advice that you live by or leave alone? Um, You are most beautiful when you are being yourself. I would say get lots of sleep. I'm very into tracking my sleep now. And I notice a difference in everything about me and how I feel about me when I sleep well. And what's the product you can't live without? I would have to say probably not a common product, but I like to brush my hair and beard a lot. So keep a brush on me in the car, in the bag. My waves are still there most days and it makes me feel great. I'm really big on if you feel great, you'll deliver. So yeah. That's what I need daily. I would say my uh, mascara. Because on my most days, that's all I need to put on is mascara, a little bit of blush, and I'm good to go. Electric toothbrush or electric flosser? Hmm. Electric toothbrush. For sure, the toothbrush. Why? I believe in the tried and true floss where you wrap it around the middle finger and get about 18 inches. I think marketing. The air floss is really not a substitute for flossing. It's just a name. Unless you just don't have the hand skills, I prefer regular floss. There's a certain motion we need patients to be able to do that the air 
water flosser won't be able to do. And if you have tight contacts, it won't get in between your teeth like it should. So the floss will hug it and make sure it's actually contacting the inside and the line angles of the teeth is what we want to get. Really great to know. Who was or is your beauty style icon when you were growing up and who deserves that status now? So when I was growing up, being from Detroit, I loved Aaliyah. She was my favorite. I thought she was beautiful. I thought her style was everything and all her songs, I still know them to this day. Now, I would say Michelle Obama, love her. Class, elegant, smart, beautiful. Dr. Drew? You know, I wasn't super into my look until I met Dr. Joya, and that was around the Barack Obama years. So I love him. I'm pretty much a close cut kind of guy. I don't like a lot of accessories. Just wear a nice fitting suit and that's all you need. For you to be my icon, you have to be a family man, a great husband, and elite at some skill. So I definitely say Barack. I admire people like the Currys because they're a husband and wife uh, that, you know, kind of dive into fashion as well. But yeah. So thank you both so much for being guests on the show. I really appreciate having you. And I think that all of us who, you know, not only are in the beauty profession, but are any kind of field related, now we'll think differently about how our small impacts our whole package. So thanks again. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here. 